Will you please rise for the reading of God's Word? Matthew chapter 5. By the time we get through with the Beatitudes, I hope you know them by memory because we we're uh, reading them every week. Jesus speaking here. It says, In seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they say, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for putting things in, in, in language that we can understand, Lord. We thank you that we don't have to be a doctorate in theology to understand your word, Lord. And God, we pray in the name of Jesus for uh, open hearts this morning, just the opportunity of actually coming here on a morning and not having quite all the distractions that we have when we come here in the evening, Lord. And so, uh, Lord, we just ask that you open our hearts and minds and eyes and ears, Lord, to what you're saying to us, Lord. And God, we pray that we... Uh, would hear this word and go out and do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please, greet one another. Settle down. We have lots of ground to cover. We'll be in verse 6 today. A couple people got that. More, 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 more. Matthew 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Jesus, with this short and simple verse, clears up a couple of very common errors. A couple of very common errors that men and women fall into when dealing with the subject of being blessed. Oh, what a subject that is near and dear to our hearts, being blessed. We spend the better part of our lives in the hunt for blessing. And men toil and strive, and they even lie, cheat, and kill in the, just in the, 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 the search for blessing. Jesus knows that. He knows that man toils and strives for that. He knows that it's the very obsession of man. In fact, it becomes evident as you read through the Gospels that most of the multitude that is following Jesus is really after the blessing. They're not really after him. And, and he's, he's well aware of that. And so here in verse 6, 
Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter of being blessed and he clears up at least two very common errors on the subject. The first, it's important to notice what he does not say as much as what he does say. And um, he does not say, contrary to common belief, he does not say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessing. He does not say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessing. Now, in a church service, you may think, well, of course he doesn't say that, but to us who are Americans, that's a very hard pill to swallow. Uh, in fact, that it, it, it downright is un-American. It, uh, if you look in the Declaration of Independence, it says right in there, attributing, attributing it to God, it says, all men are created equal. They are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights uh, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We were endowed by our Creator, it says, to pursue happiness. That statement has gotten us all in so much trouble. Jesus said no such thing. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for me. A.W. Tozer said, the problem with the spiritual life is not to persuade God to fill us or bless us, but to want God sufficiently to do so. Turn with me to Numbers in the Old Testament. Numbers. Five books in from the left, Numbers. Numbers chapter 20. This is an account of the children of Israel just um, wandering around in the wilderness. And it says in verse 1, it says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought, a, brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Grain and figs and vines and pomegranates. They were hungering and thirsting for blessing. They were hunger, hungering and thirsting to be blessed. I don't know much about pomegranates. I don't think I've ever had one, but it just sounds like something real juicy. They just wanted something real juicy. They just wanted uh, sort of the, the blessing there. And, and what God wanted to give them was living water. Turn to, go down to verse 10 there. It says, And Moses gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? 
Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. God wanted to give them living water. I mean, they, were, they wanted the, the, the grain, the figs, the vines, and the pomegranates. God wanted to give them living water. Now turn just to the previous chapter, chapter 19. It's a little study in numbers this morning. Chapter 19, verse 19. I'm not going to say a whole lot about the context here. These are the laws of purification. But it says there, the clean person shall sprinkle... Uh, this is verse 19. The clean per person shall sprinkle the unclean. Wait a second. Do I have the right verse? No, I don't. 17. Sorry. Forget I ever said that. Back up to 17. I was, you start talking about the clean person. I'm thinking, no, no, it's the unclean person. Verse 17. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer, burnt for purification from sin, and... Running water shall be put on them in a vessel. Now, this is one of those times that I wish the translators had left the literal translation in there. That word running, literally, the word is living. Living. It says, and living water shall be put on them in a vessel. And I just thought that was so neat when uh, I read it. Uh, the running water was living water because water that was not running... Uh, it, it, that, that stood in the pool or something, it, it got stagnant and bacteria set in and, and people would get sick or they would even die. But living water was running water. And, um, and so it is, the, it is the fresh and pure water that gives life to the body. And so uh, the people were looking for grain and figs and, and vines and pomegranates. God wanted to give them uh, living water. And, and so that's what comes gushing out uh, in chapter 20, verses uh, 11 there. And so most of you know of John uh, chapter 7, where Jesus in verse 37 says, uh, it, well, actually it says in those verses, it says, on the last day that of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that the rock that Moses struck was Christ, was Christ, represented Christ. That's probably why Moses got in so much trouble for striking it. Uh, but but in, in any event, it represented Christ. The living water represented the Holy Spirit. That's what God wanted to give them. Uh, they weren't ready for the pomegranates, the vines, the, the figs, and the grain yet. He wanted to give them the living water. And that, uh, that water that came gushing out, that's what it represented. That's what it represented. And, and brothers and sisters, what I really want you to, to get out of this this morning, this, this um, Numbers chapter 20, is it is a picture of a carnal Christian. It's a picture of a carnal Christian. Uh, the Christian who has planted himself or herself in a church, but their heart is really fixed on something else. Their eyes are fixed on something else. Uh, you know, God uh, wants to bless them from one source, but they are dead set on being blessed by another source. And, and to me, it's always one of the most tragic and as really as a shepherd, one of the most frustrating things where 
You, you see people in sort of a religious exercise coming to church, but really, as you get to know them, their heart is, is rooted in, in the world. And First John 3.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. When our bodies are in the church and we are physically present, but our eyes are fixed on those things outside, you know, we are loving the world and we will wind up looking like a carbon copy of it. Dennis Levine was a man in the 80s, the 1980s, who was one of the most famous con men of the, the 20th century. And um, after he went to jail, Time uh, magazine interviewed him, and uh, he said that when he was making $100,000 a year, he hungered for $200,000 a year. And when he was making a uh, million dollars a year, he convinced himself that what he really needed was $3 million a year. And then he th everything sort of imploded, and uh, he, he got caught, and... Um, he went to jail, and, and he now describes his thinking as well-intentioned self-destruction. But you know something? There's a thousand stories for, from where that comes from. A thousand stories. Those stories are a dime a dozen in this country. Because you know why? The world never learns. It, it, it hungers and thirsts for blessing. And, and so much of the church today hungers and thirsts for blessing. Uh, the, the world uh, never learns uh, that it turns out to be poison and very well-wrapped uh, disguise, but if you have given your heart to Christ, you know better. You know better than to hunger and thirst for, really, the world. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessing. So on the subject of being blessed, again, Jesus... And this very simple statement here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, with that simple but profound short statement, he's clearing up two common errors. One, uh, contrary to the Declaration of Independence, it's not blessed are you who hunger and thirst for happiness or, or blessing. And second, listen carefully, it is not, and this is so important, it is not blessed are those who are righteous. It doesn't say Blessed are those who are righteous. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that is so important. It's such a huge distinction. Uh, and this is a tough one because uh, many Christians are miserable because they think that to be blessed, they must be righteous. They must get that righteousness. Of course, as a Christian, you have a positional righteousness in Christ, but they, they become convinced that to be blessed, they must, their, their whole life, their actions, their conduct needs to be perfectly righteous. And so they say things like, well, you know, I'm going uh, to quit smoking. Surely then I'll be blessed. And you say, why? Well, because Jesus says so. Blessed are those who are righteous. Did he really say that? Yeah, 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 I think so. I think it was something like that. And so they go and, and they try to quit smoking, and, and one of two things happen. They try to quit smoking and they fail. Then they try again and they fail. And they try, 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 fail, fail, fail. Try, 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 fail, fail, fail. And, and, and they wind up being miserable because, why? They're not righteous. Either that happens or the second thing happens. They try and, wow, they, they quit smoking. And, you know, for a while, there's sort of an exuberance of thinking thinking they are righteous, but after a while, that empty feeling comes back again, and, and they're, they're thinking to themselves, why? Why 
why am I sort of feeling so dried up inside? I, I quit that smoking. I've been off of the cigarette for six months. Why, why that, that empty feeling? Well, Jesus never said, blessed are the righteous. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to quit smoking, uh, but what it does mean is that Jesus did not say, blessed are the righteous. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, he who dwells in me will bear much fruit. So blessed are those who, of you who are branches, who are grafted into the vine, who are drawing your life from him. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for Jesus. And what? You will be filled. Why is this so important to understand this? Because Jesus' statement here, this very simple statement, blessed are you, hunger and thirst for, for righteousness, for you will be filled. It, it, it goes to the heart of the, the one thing, really the only thing that's different between Christianity and every other religion, and that is grace. It's all about grace. It's not about the law. It's not about drawing a circle, getting in it, and, and saying, well, this is the circle of righteousness. You know, we throw the term legalism around a lot. And my experience has been that very few people really know what that means. I mean, I remember just saying, you know, whoa, throwing that term around, oh, that person's legalistic, or I don't want to be legalistic. And someone asked me, well, what does legalistic legalism mean anyway? And I said, well, that's, you know, when a woman feels she has to be in a, a dress when she goes to church. Well, that's, that's not legalism. So I, over the years, I started writing down working definitions, and one of them I came up with is this. Legalism is when the law has become an obstacle between me and God. If you're taking notes, legalism is when the law has become an obstacle between me and God. In other words, when I become so focused on what movie I'm allowed to go to, what what I'm supposed to do on the Lord's Day, how I'm supposed to dress, what music I can listen to, what car I'm supposed to drive, what friends I'm supposed to have, what, uh, what, how I spend my money on vacation. Now, a Christ, as Christians, we should be seeking the Lord on all those things, but when I'm so focused on them that I, am, uh, I, I take even 1% of, uh, of my focus off of God, that is legalism. That's when legalism creeps in. As Christians... Um, uh, you know, we need to understand this. Legalism uh, is when rules, when the law has become an obstacle between me and God. But, you know, we're in Matthew 5, verse 6 today, so here's another one. Here's another working definition of legalism. Legalism is a mind step, a state of mind that says, blessed are those who are righteous. Blessed are those who are righteous. Here's what happens, and I must say this happens in the church all the time, particularly with new believers. Uh, they come into the kingdom of God and they say, well, uh, Jesus must, must teach, blessed are those who are righteous, kind of like that, you know, God helps those who help themselves type of thing. People are just convinced that that's what the Bible says, and, and they, they, they take their mind off of the Lord and onto trying to sort of figuring out uh, the things that are righteous things. And, and what winds up happening is that they make up all kinds of, of laws and, and uh, laws really on how to obey the laws. And, and many times you, what you're left with is something absurd and tragic. I, I heard uh, a couple months ago 
that in the mid-18th century, there were churches that refused to baptize children who were born on Sunday. Now you may think, well, whoa, where's that coming from? Well, there, it was commonly believed then that you were born on the same day you were conceived. And if you were conceived on a Sunday, that must mean your parents were making love on Sunday. And guess what? That's pleasure. For others, it's work, you know. But pleasure, work, they're both prohibited on Sunday or the Sabbath, you know. <laughs> and, and so they refused to baptize children born on Sunday. That is bondage. But try to, try to put yourself in the setting. There was a group of people who thought they were righteous because they were upholding righteousness, the law, the laws about how to obey the law. You gasp, but we do the same thing today. We get into the mentality, blessed are the righteous, and we sit around trying to figure out what righteousness is. Well, you know, it's okay to go to movies as, as long as it's a G movie, as long as it's a matinee, as long as, you know, no, one, no main character in the movie is, uh, you know, divorced uh, a, a, uh, or had a problem with drunkenness or, or a drug problem or, or, or whatever, and the movie mentions Jesus at least three times, whatever, you know. It, we, we come up with these things, but, but and, and don't try to tell me you've never made up rules like that for your life. I know I have. I, you know, and every single time I make one, I always fail. Every single time. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about rules I make up to try to be righteous. I'm talking about stuff like, and, and this is true, I, I've actually done this. I'll, I'll make up, you know, I made up my mind that I would never read the morning paper or even a part of it before my Bible study in the morning. Not even the headlines! That was wrong. But the problem is, is, is you're immediately going to bondage because, you know, I go down for my cup of coffee, coffee in the morning and the paper's lying on the floor and I'm, you know, you, you know well, that's important. I got to read that. You know, you, you grab it. And, 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 and pretty soon, you know, uh, pretty soon, you know, you're, you're, you're under condemnation and, and this type of things. And, and you see, what happens when we live, you know, with this blessed are the righteous mindset is we, we draw lines and, and we're not allowed to cross them. And, and, but then all we can think of is how close we can get to the edge of the line. And, and, and that's, that, becomes our, that becomes our religious life, how close we can get to the line. And we get right up to it, and, and we go, ah, I got it, you know. And, and, you know, and someone say, well, you crossed the line. You say, no, I didn't. I, my toes didn't go over the line. And you're like, well, what does that matter? But, 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 but in any event, you can set up rules like that in your life. And the thing is, is for a while, you may begin to convince yourself you're righteous. And, and more than that, other people will probably think you are too. You know, hey, guess what? I, I never read the paper before my morning Bible study. Cool, wow, he's so spiritual. I mean, what discipline, you know? And, and, and the thing is, it, it, the problem is, is those rules always wind up having the opposite effect. Um, you, you set them up to be righteous, but you wind up being unrighteous. And let me tell you why. You, you know, like this thing with the paper. You know, you'll be going down before your morning Bible study, and, and then you'll see something, you'll like it, and you start to read it, and you say, oh, well, that's it, I can't have my Bible study now. You know, I guess you, I've already read the paper, you know, so I guess I should just sit down and read the paper for an hour. And that's the way legalism works. You know why? 
because the law wars against the flesh. And the flesh has no power against the law. It just beats it down. And, and, and after a while, it loses. I've made up my mind that the one rule of my life needs to be abide in Christ, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that doesn't mean, by the way, reading the paper before the Bible study. That's a bad idea, and I don't do it. But it's just, I don't hang the rule over my head. The most amazing thing I've seen over the years is the more I get rid of my legalistic mindset, the more righteous and law-abiding I become. It's this wonderful dynamic. I, 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 you know, I abide in Christ. I simply hunger and thirst for righteousness, and, and I find myself really walking in the law. But it, when, when you're legalistic, when you're, you're living under the power of the law, it always has the opposite of its intended effect. It always leads to a less righteous, less moral, less law-abiding life. Why? Because the Bible says it's, it's by the Spirit-led life that we have power. Galatians 5 says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you're hungry and thirsting for righteousness, believe me, uh, if you're being led by the Spirit and you're pursuing the face of God, you, God will show you what movie you can go to, if any. God will show you what friends to have. God will show you what music is glorifying to Him. God will show you, you know, what to wear. I recently heard a story. I, I don't think it's true, although anything's possible. But it's a very good illustration about what we're talking about. There was a guy who uh, was a car lover, and um, he was a Volkswagen lover, and he purchased a 1963 Volkswagen Beetle. And it was in mint condition, and man, he loved this car. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys, and you ever see that car commercial, you know, I love you, I honestly love you, and this guy's waxing his car? You've got to be kidding me. But, but, uh, but anyway, you know, there's people like that uh, out there, and, uh, uh, and uh, this guy had this 1963 uh, Volkswagen Beetle, and the problem was is when he, it, it was an old car, so he had to take it to the mechanic about once every few months, and, and the thing is he hounded the mechanic, you know. The mechanics would be working on his car and he'd be, hey, you don't scratch it or, you know, you put, don't put some grease on that shiny pipes. And, and he would drive them all crazy. And after a while, none of them wanted to work on his uh, car anymore. And one day he came in, you know, I, this is going on for a couple of years. And one day he came in and, and they saw him coming in and the mechanics just fleed, you know, uh, trying to hide and, or, or pretend they were working on some other car. And uh, the owner... Uh, went and found some guy who hadn't realized this man had come and said, hey, you, you need to work on that car. And he, he looked at what car it was. He goes, not me. I'm not working on that car. He says, yes, you are. Go work on that car. He says, no. He says, you don't. You're fired. He goes, okay, I'll work on it. So he went, and, uh, uh, he went out to the man. He said, look, I will work on your car under one condition. He goes, come here. And he, he took him to the opposite side of the garage, and he took a piece of chalk, and he drew a circle. He says, if you... If you stand inside this circle and do not get out of it, I will work on your car. But if you come out of this circle, I'm not working on your car anymore. And the guy said, okay. And he got in the middle of the circle and he started working on his car. And um, the mechanic started working on his car. And he looked back at the guy and the guy was like smirking. You know. <laughs> and he 
And that guy got the mechanic kind of mad, so he, he took a wrench, pretend like he was going to hit the windshield. And, he goes, ha! and the guy didn't really do anything. He annoyed him a lot, so he picked up a sledgehammer. He pretended like he was going to put the sledgehammer through the windshield, and he went like this, and the guy was like, ha! in the middle of the circle. And the guy was, this is... This is so weird. I just can't take this anymore. And he took the sledgehammer and he went smash right through the windshield. And the guy started laughing more. So he started smashing the whole thing. He destroyed that, the, the beetle. And this guy, he looks back, the guy's still laughing. And, and he, just, he just, in a rage, he goes up to the guy and he goes, I don't get this. He goes, you're obsessed about your car. Why is it that you're laughing? And the guy said, when you weren't looking, I stepped outside of the circle. <laughs> The one thing the guy loved the most, the 1963 Volkswagen, was no longer important to him. All, all, the only thing that was important to, was, wow, how can he like step outside with, with this guy not really know about it? And you know some, it is a great illustration when we live in the blessed or the righteous mindset and we get convinced that you know we become righteous we will be blessed you know I are we love we, we love the Lord we entered into relationship with God we went even to the altar maybe with weeping and loving him uh, but all of a sudden you know we become so fixated on this line that we draw that our relationship is over there sort of in flames or drying up and we don't even know about it. And in fact, we sort of even see it, but we don't even care. The only thing we care about is this, this standard of morality that we have, uh, the, we've set up for ourselves. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the righteous. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, it is ever so important to understand that when Jesus says that, the righteousness he's talking about is so much more than the law. You know, we just taught, we were in Exodus recently, Scott was teaching on Exodus, and, and uh, the point was made that the Ten Commandments are the very, very threshold of the, it's the foundation, the very beginning, the eensy-tinsy beginning uh, of the Christian faith. Now, many scholars believe that the whole Sermon on the Mount hinges on, and, and I believe this, not that I'm a scholar, but I agree with them, hinges on Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And what does that say? Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Many scholars believe that the entire sermon hinges on this verse. It says this, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes, and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a very interesting verse when you start connecting the dots, when you start connecting that with Matthew 5, verse 6. Wow! So, I mean, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they obeyed all the laws, and they obeyed all the laws of the laws of the laws. And, and Jesus is still saying, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So what on earth could he mean when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, the righteousness that he's talking about is so much more. And we sang a song about it this morning, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, 
who had no sin so that we in him could become the righteousness of God. He, Jesus, is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, some of you are saying, Steve, get practical with me. How, what does this look like in my day-to-day life? Okay, I hope you're ready, and I hope if you're taking notes, you can write fast, because this, this is really what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You, you hunger and thirst for Jesus. You hunger and thirst to be like Jesus. You are burdened with sin in your life, and you long for holiness. Your greatest desire is to see the wickedness in your heart uprooted. Uh, for your heart to be awash in purity. You want your thought life to be clean, your mind renewed. You long for pride to have no place in your life, your anger to be exchanged for meekness, your jealousy for joy, adultery for commitment, idolatry for worship, evil for goodness, unbelief for faithfulness, revenge for deliberate acts of kindness, outbursts of rage for self-control, drunkenness for Christlikeness, impatience for long-suffering, hate for love. And then once you start experiencing those things, you want to see them manifested in the life of your family, in the life of your neighbors, in the life uh, of, of your friends, and, and in your city, and your co-workers, in your country. That is what hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that's how it plays out. Because that, that was the right, that is the righteousness of Christ. Now, in case you're wondering, a person doesn't hunger and thirst for those things unless they've been born again by the Spirit of God. If you're sitting in your chair thinking, you know, I really don't have any desire for any of those things, more than likely you are not born again. 1 John 3, 3 says, everyone who has this hope, in other words, everyone who, who has a relationship with Christ, purifies himself, just as he, Jesus, is pure. If you're sitting in your chair and you're thinking, I really have no desire for any of those things, for kindness, for self-control, for long-suffering, the Bible says you're spiritually dead and that you need to be reconciled with God. And my advice to you is to be reconciled with God. God wants to, well, God wants to put that desire in your heart. However, if you're sitting in your chair thinking, you know, I really do desire those things. In fact, I desire all of them. The Bible says that certainly means that you were born again. All these beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, are evidences of the life of God in a person. They are proof that the life of God is at work in you. You know, from time to time people come up to me and they're worried that they've committed the unforgivable sin. But the thing is, what they're really doing is they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And, and this, these verses right here, basically what they're saying is that, you know, you, you, you are saved. You are going to heaven. You wouldn't even be worried about that if the life of God was not in you. But let me conclude with this. The gospel message here, the good news here in all of this is the promise attached to this beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. If you want Jesus, you will have him. If you want righteousness, you will 
find it. If you want a new heart, God will give you a new heart. If you want joy, uh, self-control, long-suffering, a peace, uh, you will get it. Jesus said, you will be filled. If you want to be freed from sin, you will be. Each of these beatitudes comes with a promise. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Okay, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that, God, Lord Jesus, each one of these statements comes with a promise. I thank you that, God, when we're empty and despairing and despondent and, and, and we feel like we could never be filled again, uh, that's not what you say, Lord. And God, just teach us to, to, to live by this rule, Lord God, that if any, if any rule to live by this one, that, that we need to just constantly go back to the your abiding presence, to hunger and thirst for you, Lord God. We know we'll, we'll never be righteous like you, at least in our conduct, Lord, but we, we praise you that we can be filled as we're pursuing you, Lord. We're running hard after you. God, we thank you for your grace. Show us your grace. Let us feel your grace, experience your grace, Lord. And when we don't feel it, we would walk by faith to lay a hold of it, Lord. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up. <coughs>